is Dave. Philip. Yes. I'm scared. Why are you scared? What's the most scared you've ever been? Oh, gosh. Oh, I know. Like, scared or like, oh, my gosh. Like. What's the difference between those two? Let's just start there. Okay. Okay. One time I was on the phone with my girlfriend in high school, and I walked outside, walked around. You were also in high school. See. Okay, great. Yes. I was, <laughs> I was walking around the pool on the phone with her, and I made two laps around the pool in my uh-huh. backyard. And I looked down, and I saw my brother, who is buck naked. <laughs> laying on the bottom of the pool and the water was just like not moving. And I was like, oh, and I like dropped the phone, had all my clothes on and fell into the pool like limp and like grabbed him and he stood up and he was like, what the heck? And I was like, and so I start hugging him and I was like, you're okay. And he was like, yeah, I was about to break my record. He's learning. (laughs) He was getting to where he could like, I think it was like almost three minutes. He could hold his breath and his work. He was working to get to five. Um, okay. That's the most scared us. And he was naked. He was naked. Yeah. Why do you have to do this naked? This was at like probably 11 at night. He was in college, but he was back in town. For so the this weekend. is at your house growing up? This is at up. my house growing up, This yeah. isn't like at a party. No. There's uh-huh. nobody that should have been outside talking on the phone. Yeah. And yeah, he thought, yeah, he yeah. thought he was good. I still think it's interesting that he decided to be naked. I mean, why not? Well, I, I mean, the list is long on why not. <laughs> Do you want the list? Are you in Weatherford? Yes, is I was, this in Weatherford, this is in Oklahoma? Weatherford, Oklahoma, yeah. This is like a neighborhood, In right? a private, yeah, this, this is our is like, you know, yeah. these aren't like, you don't live on land. You live like on an eighth of an acre like everybody else, right? Like with a fence? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. I mean, it's like, yeah. With like a wood picket fence that needs to be replaced. And a house that's really tall behind it to where you can see into the yeah, backyard. Yeah, yeah, so that's what, so I just, I mean, you don't have to list them out, but that's like six reasons why not to be naked in the back of a pool <laughs> with a breath holding uh, contest. I would have, I would have enjoyed that, but I would have left my clothes on. Yeah. Hey, what's the most scared you've ever been? uh, I don't, I don't know the most, but I remember just you talking about high school. I remember, uh, I, I was hanging out at third place, which was a coffee shop in Stillwater. Um, and it was 2001 and, uh, I was a sophomore and I, you know, I, I hit a streak of luck that night and I was hanging out with some seniors at the coffee shop. And then, um, and Jonathan, one of the guys was like, I didn't have a driver's license, but he was like, Hey, we're all going to go back to my house. Remember this is Stillwater. So Stillwater is a little bit different than all the other towns growing up. Um, we're going to go back to my house and we're going to have a peanut butter sandwich eating contest. (laughs) (laughs) And I said, that sounds amazing. So we went to Jonathan's house, um, which was, you know, pretty far out there. And he drove me and we went and we did the peanut butter sandwich eating contest. And, and it was, it was kind of funny. Um, I did like, I got like three down, but, uh, I think, uh, Joel, I think he was there, Joel Irby, who is now the founder and owner of, uh, Stone Cloud Brewing. Um, he probably doesn't remember this. Um, but, uh, he, I think he won. I think he had like, like nine or 10 or something like that. But the point of the peanut butter sandwich eating contest is that peanut butter is really difficult to swallow. Yeah. So, yeah. But I mean, Jonathan's mom was there. It it was just. Why was this scary? Oh, it was. (laughs) Because remember, I couldn't drive. And so he had to drive me. I was 15, you know, and they're like, you know, they're seniors. So I think in their, my mind, they're like 25. Yeah. But really they're, you know, 17, 18. So he drives me home 
and we are going 100 miles an hour, and it's at night, and it's a two-lane road, uh, 19th Street down Stillwater. And he goes, you want to get scared? And I was like, no, not really. <laughs> and he turns the lights out. So we're going 100 miles an hour, and he turns like the car lights off to where you can't see the road. And that was, uh, that was really scary. That yeah. was a scary moment. And you kind of are dancing the line between like, I want to stay cool with the older people, but I'm also like, hey, like, don't do that again, please. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was probably the most scared I've ever been. That sounds terrifying. Uh, yeah. Uh, the next scared I've been is definitely talking to Chris Benson on the podcast. It's pretty terrifying. So, yeah, if you don't know Chris, I mean, he is just a super scary individual. Um just uh i love that this is gonna lead into actually like saying he's a horrible absolutely <laughs> i mean he is a vicious human being i would say he's like if he was a snake he'd be a viper these arms are snakes <laughs> these arms. is one of the bands that we talked through today is, uh, does he bring up these arms are snakes i think you did and, no he was you, talking about the tacoma hardcore scene in washington uh, yeah, yeah. these aren't they're one of the tacoma hardcore bands from the that used varellin amps i guess so yeah we've got chris benson on the show today and chris is the designer uh and runs the runs the building and manufacturing facility um i don't say building and manufacturing like they're different i just say them because i i just said both of them and so if you have a problem with that you can email dto at walrusaudio.com and we'll throw your email in the trash. Um, and then... Uh, Have you ever checked that no, email? No, <laughs> I never check it. Do you check it, Austin? Oh, he does. Austin He's checks on it. it. Yeah. Sweet. I think we should, we should do... This is a new segment that we're doing uh, called... Band names! I stole that from you. You had a different song earlier. Man. That was then. This is now. What's the new song? I just did your band name thing. Let's do a new song. Uh, this is the band name section. This is the band name section of the section party. of the party. Oh man. This uh, is the band names. Oh, that sounds like a that sounds like a community college commercial. Uh, I could just This let's, is the band names. This is the band names. Yeah. yeah. Ooh. Yeah. We should we should we should make a song where you think it's always ending. <laughs> and we get Yeah. <laughs> 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 uh, you gotta edit that now. Yeah. This is for sure a musician's podcast. Um so uh what's your band name today? You want me to go first? You wanna go first? Today today that's a good one i like it yeah today yeah who are you gonna see today today <laughs> no who are you gonna see today tomorrow that's a good band name what's your band name <laughs> what do you got my band name is spline shaft oh no <laughs> you took it i took it spline this, ha shaft. this happened in a meeting like no never mind it didn't this is a band no you can tell the truth and, this is a great this yeah, is yeah, a great yeah. platform for the truth yeah so this happened in one of our meetings in Spline Shaft, I guess, is you probably know it better. <laughs> I stole it from you. <laughs> 
Well, it's, it, I think it's the, it's the, it's the part that turns on the potentiometer, but it's a oh. specific potentiometer. Oh, okay. It has a spline shaft. Sweet. Yeah. Yeah. Spline it. shaft. But I mean, how great of a band name is this real yeah. band? And then do you want to tell everybody that I call that out as a good band name <laughs> or that, that you called it out as a good band name? Like who was it? Listen, my eyes went like this. And you said it first. Well, my eyes moved first. Yeah, so. I'm sure. Yeah, great. <laughs> uh, anyway, Spline Shaft is from Des Moines, Iowa. <laughs> Iowa. Um, and they actually just put out their sophomore album, which is called From the Ashes. And it's, uh, I don't know if you know the history of this band. <laughs> but they I don't. They, but, they, tell they, me. To, to they formed in 99. Uh, they, had a, they had a little bit of success. They broke up in 2005. What kind of success? Uh, like here's the success they had. How do you quantify they a played, little bit? Uh, so they played. Is a little bit of success? That sounds <clears throat> unsuccessful to me. It's kind of okay. <laughs> it's pretty unsuccessful, <laughs> but they did play Rocklahoma like every single year. So is they, that still happening? It's still happening. Man. Who yeah. plays Rocklahoma? Spline Shaft. Is it like a? No, they get like. Is that like where Shine Down comes to play? I think Shinedown has played Rocklahoma. I think. Are you yeah. saying that because you've seen? I think. I think yeah, I think I've seen I, like <laughs> Shinedown on the bill. Um, uh, today, my band name is Pool of Muscle. Is that P U L L or P O O L? P O O L. Pool of Muscle. Pool of Muscle. Yeah, and um, I don't really know what genre they are <laughs> because that uh, just came to me. And um, I crossed out. I crossed out my other band name called Milk Cave. That's so good, Milk Cave. Milk Cave. You should edit that out and use that later. That's you like good. Milk Cave? Or? I love Milk. I got two to choose from today: Milk Cave or Pool of Muscle. I mean, I like Pool of Muscle too, but I'm just picturing like, like actual, yeah, muscles from humans yeah. just and, wiggling. And, yeah, I had a band in in college that lasted about seven days. That was called Whirlpool of Lions. And that's real. Um, uh, and then, so I have also have two albums today uh, w- with Milk Cave. Uh, the album name was Court Theory. Oh, that's good. And then uh, <laughs> with Pool of Muscle, I just had See You at the Dawn, which I don't really like very much. It just reminds me of See You at the Pole. See You at the Pole. See you at the, oh yes, see, see you at the, the pole. pole at dawn. Yeah, well, this today is our special see you at the pole episode. <laughs> so, <laughs> listen, I could go on about that. Uh, both bands are from Montpelier, Vermont. Oh, dude, it's like a Vermont band. That is, you yeah, know what I mean. That's good. So it's like it's kind of like unaccessible pop. It's like almost pop, but it's not quite enjoyable pop. Oh. Really? And people listen to it because they want to come off as smart or pretentious, but nobody actually likes it. Uh-huh. You know? Like who? Like what other people? Uh, <laughs> I don't necessarily want to say any of the bands, uh-huh. um, but I can't say it. I can't say it. Uh, <laughs> but you know who you are. Um, so with that... Let's bring on uh, one of Music Instruments' most hated villains <laughs> in the world, Christopher Benson. Chris Benson, everybody. Yeah, Chris, Chris Benson. Awesome. Uh, Chris Benson is out of uh, Portland, Oregon, and runs 
um, arguably one of the greatest guitar amplifier companies on the planet uh, that has been and ever will be. So, um, yeah, Chris designs oh, thanks, amps and buddy. builds amps wow. in, uh, in the United States of America. So for someone who's first being introduced to you, which would be funny if it is, uh, explain kind of who you are and what you do to everybody. <laughs> explain well, what explain what you do to everybody, but not who you are to everybody. Does that make sense? Um, yeah, I just uh, <clears throat> I have been a musician, kind of guitar player, bass player, my entire life, and um, somehow I kind of tripped and fell into the world of DIY audio um, amplifiers and pedals in the two thousands, and got to meet. Uh, kind of the right people, the right artists, and the right kind of DIY folks. And that that kind of, uh, you know, now I have an amp company and I have a bunch of employees and we just make guitar amps and guitar pedals. And it's a, probably a super weird story. And uh, there was a lot of luck involved. Mm. Thanks for being um, on the show today. Um, yeah. <laughs> like and subscribe at the bottom. I'm just kidding. Take so take yeah. us back to uh, two thousand, like kind of at the beginning of like how did it turn from an idea into a, a a passion? It was a passion before it was an idea. To be honest with you, I was um, working as a repair technician yeah. at a Varellen Amps in Seattle. And so it's kind of, and for, I don't know if you know Varellen or not, but they kind of do like super loud, heavy, or they did that. I think they're, they're technically out of business. Now. Are they the, the green amps? Are they? No, they, they're like wood stained amps okay. and they're like massive. They're like, you know, 90 pounds for a head. And he was like doing hardcore and kind of metal stuff. He, he's actually like a really well known kind of hardcore post-hardcore singer yeah i've seen these okay yeah for who yeah uh his own band uh helms ali um his brother dave varellen is a singer of botch so he kind of came up with all the Dang. tacoma kind of hardcore stuff um tacoma washington you, right Same yes okay gotcha. played with these arms are snakes and yeah he, he was just kind of like a fixture in seattle when i was living up there <laughs> that is a band name these arms are snakes. Good night. Sometimes the world just feeds it to you. Uh, side note, <laughs> side note, you're in Portland and I was in Portland and I saw a, uh, a concert poster for one of my favorite band names ever, uh, Wolves in the Throne Room. Oh, that's, yeah. that's a great name. Is that not a great band name? Do, are they still around? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Good good band. I mean, who knows? I, I haven't really been paying attention since the pandemic, but I, 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 I bet they made it through. Yeah. Was the, the pandemic the hard for you? Just kidding. Yeah, it was. <laughs> uh, talk about how it changed your business model. Uh, wow. Okay, so you've got, so it was a passion and then it was an idea. You worked for Varellen for a little while. Yeah. Um, and <clears throat> I was kind of working on my own designs at the same time because that's, that's what you do. What were you um, trying to achieve with your own designs? So, you know, Ben was doing these loud, clean, um, or loud, brutally distorted amps, which, you know, I love that kind of music, but yeah, I was kind of more in like the alt country, um, indie rock scene in Seattle. Uh, 
And so what I was trying to do was really focus on the, the transition into distortion from a clean signal. So really good cleans, good transition. And my kind of theory is harmonics are harmonics. So <clears throat> an amp that's going to sound good for like, you know, indie rock is going to sound good for alt country is probably going to make a blues guy happy. Uh, hey, back up real quick. So uh, we have, you know, we've got a lot of gearheads listening, things like that, but um, they might not be as well-versed in the vocabulary and the technicality that, that you are in. So when you talk about transition um, cleans and a distortion, like what is, for an amplifier, what exactly does that mean? Um, so that usually means that there's going to be, the sound is going to be kind of compressed and the, the, the distorted signal isn't going to be a lot louder than the clean signal. Oh, great. Um, so you don't, you don't have like a massive jump up in volume when you turn the volume up. What you get is just more kind of harmonics. And that's kind of the goal. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people actually call that touch sensitivity as well, because you can kind of vary how distorted something is with your fingers, you know, hitting it harder. And it, it kind of gives you a little more control, like three-dimensional, you know, interaction with the instrument. Um, yeah. So that that's kind of where my head was at. And how'd you get from that idea and what happened next? Um, so I had a friend of a friend who was an entrepreneur who ended up buying one of my amps and was like, these are great. Oh, so, okay. I mean, I wasn't... So the amp is made. It's made. You have it. Well... It's designed, and I've made like a couple for friends here and there. Uh -huh. um, yeah, the Monarch was pretty much designed at that point, and then someone played it and was like, "Hey, you should you should start an amplifier company." Uh, I think this is really good, and I was kind of like, "Are you sure?" I don't know. That sounds hard. <laughs> and uh, he had a bunch of um, experience, kind of starting companies here and there, and he kind of walked me through it. Uh -huh. And uh, I didn't even really know you needed a logo or I, I was vaguely aware that people had websites. Yeah, um, they do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But he kind of like, I, I did not come from like business or marketing or anything like that. I was just basically an app mechanic. Um, and so he kind of walked me through the, that and he invested some money and somewhere along the line, I kind of got the hang of, well, this is how you actually have a company. And, you yeah. know, as you, as you guys know, it's, you know, it's a huge learning process. Um, no, you just kind of wake up and you just kind of know it all. <laughs> so I went from just basically kidding. dummy amp mechanic to now all I do is write emails. And uh, sometimes I get to design puddles. <laughs> Mm -hmm. No, I totally get that. Uh, okay, so you've made a couple of you made a couple of amps. You've got um, an entrepreneur, you know, on board, kind of helping you through the process. What year was that? Um, I believe that was around 2010 when we started talking about doing a company. And around that time, we moved to to Portland, and I was just kind of working. I think we officially launched in 2012, so it took like a full. I think a year and a half to kind of get the website together and get kind of my designs, um, you know, get chassis made stuff that I never had even thought about. Yeah. We so. tell, we tell our listeners what a chassis is. They might not know. Oh, of course. 
A chassis is the metal enclosure that you have to design and then have a metal shop make. And that's what you build all the uh, electronics into the amp inside. Amazing. Uh, are you? Did you customize your chassis or did you use like a stock fender uh, dimension or what would you, how'd you figure that out? Um, I definitely customized it. The first one, you just, you can buy a blank one with no holes in it and you just drill it out, which is what I did for the first couple. And then I took that stock, I, I took that kind of stock chassis size and had someone draw it up in, in CAD computer aided drafting and brought it to a metal shop and said, can you make this? And of course the drawing was all wrong and had the wrong metal written down and everything. But they were like, yeah, you know, once we fix all your work, uh, we can totally <laughs> yeah. make this. Yeah. So, okay. The first amp was what? Uh, the first one was the Monarch, which is our kind of 15 watt, um, two knob, one switch, super simple guitar amp. Yeah. There's one sitting behind Philip over yeah, here. Here we go. Uh, Benson Monarch. I don't know if you can see it. Your view. Yeah, we have three. By the way, we have three. Yeah, we do. And two are with me. <laughs> <laughs> they come in, and Colt is like, "Yeah," I'm, and I'm they come in the this. shop, and then they're gone. <laughs> it's funny, and then everybody at the shop listening is like, "Yeah, it's not funny," because we want to play it. We're stuck playing this Vox over here, which is great. Uh, okay, so it was the Monarch, and then like as a designer, how do you decide where to go next? You know, um, or do you go anywhere next? Do you just like cash in selling monarchs for like eight years? Well, I mean, I kind of did like that. We pretty much only made monarch and our reverb unit and like a super loud, heavy bass amp for the first few years. And then the monarch actually forms the basis of all of our other guitar amps and products. So, like the preamp pedal, our Chimera, which is our 30 watt version of the monarch. Our video, which is our Russian nesting doll version of the Monarch, our like what, all Satan? of it's just. So the Vincent uh, yeah. is like a our thirty watt amp, but it has like another one of our one watt amps just put in the preamp section. Oh, um, so you have like a an amp within an amp. So I call it like a Russian nesting doll. Wow. Amp. So what is that? Describe why why you did that and what it sounds like or how it works. Sure. I think that so, would be really interesting to hear. So one of the problems people try to solve with tube amps is they're too loud or you, you, you can't get it to the volume that you need to play on a stage. Uh -huh. um, or, you know, tube amps sound good loud, but they're too loud for most people, um, especially on the modern stage where you don't have like a, you know, you're not cranking out Marshall stacks anymore. Mm -hmm. um, so the, the idea with the Vincent is, <clears throat> if you put a smaller amp in the front end and you can kind of get that overdriven power tube distortion sound, which is kind of the basis for the rock and roll sound uh -huh. in general. Um, and then you run that into another amp. The second amp can actually control the volume of the first amp that's just running flat out overdriven. So you don't have to really compromise on doing something like putting an attenuator on it or uh, -huh. uh which is is just something that soaks up the power or yeah. uh or doing like a, a power scaling thing which can sound weird if it's not really implemented properly sure instead of doing all those you just make an, an amp running into an amp 
yeah. then you can have that power tube distortion at any volume. And also you can like switch it in and out. It's channel switching. So you can have like a totally clean tube sound or, you know, step on your foot switch and you can get that, uh, the, the, the power tube distortion stuff. So the, the, this, the Vinny or the Vincent, that's the Vincent. So the Vincent ha- has the Vinny like in the preamp, gotcha. which is our one lot. Yeah. So the Vincent is probably an amp that's for somebody that's playing with amps on the stage. It's yeah, for, or, it's or recording. Or reco- do people still do that? From time to time. Um, the uh, it, It's probably not an amp for people who are just throwing amps in an ISO cab. It doesn't really matter. It sounds like it's an all-around amp for everybody. No, with those don't say that, Philip. I mean, having, having a one watt, having because you can separate them he's saying so maybe i'm wrong well you can't really separate them but what you can do is get that distortion at one watt so it's sort of like its own power scaling but without any of the uh the compromises that most people have to to make with it so who's Um, right and you can (laughs) everyone's right yes who wants one watts One watts. I'm just kidding. I have a Vox. I have a Vox AC4. Oh, there it is right there. I like it in my office when I'm just trying to like listen to pedals for a second, you know? Um, Like when I get my new Benson pedals in the mail, uh, Mm. I plug them into the Vox AC4. That sounds pretty good. That sounds so bad. We We have a solid state Vox in our pedal room that sounds so bad. (laughs) <laughs> but it's not an AC4. I like AC4s. It's like some weird solid state one that sounds like just someone stabbing in the ears yeah. with a knife. I think it's like a nineties one. I think I think people would I think people would be really surprised to find out what gear is laying around other designer and manufacturers' shops that they actually use in their business process. Yeah. Like we have uh we have a lot of uh, the like the five stomp boss loopers here for like pedal testing. And people are people do the shop tour, they're always surprised to find those, but they work great because when you're testing pedals, you need like a loop to do fuzz, and then you gotta have another different loop to do delay, you know, because it's usually not the same. They're awesome, yeah. kind of playing. So, what else, what other pieces of gear in your shop that people would be surprised or ashamed to find? Oh gosh. I mean, all the shameful pieces of gear have like gone to my house. Yeah. Cause house of shame. We, uh, that's, a, that's an album. <laughs> we actually don't have anything in the shop here that we don't need because people keep, um, kind of breaking in. Oh, wow. <laughs> so we're, we're kind of running a skeleton crew on guitars. Like this is one of like two guitars in the shop. Uh-huh. Whoa. And it's got a it's got a Grateful Dead sticker on it. Yeah, that's great. We just talked about Grateful Dead in the last episode with Isaac Hansen. I don't know why I said his name like that. You should have done a Scottish accent. It's like Isaac Hansen. <laughs> Let's not go there. Uh, so, he. We're actually really boring here. <laughs> nah, yeah, I don't believe that. Um, people keep breaking into your shop. Do you have locks? Yeah, we have like locks and security systems and gates and chains. My and own. security cameras and so bars bring, in the windows. Yeah, that brings me to my next. That brings me to my next question. Uh, what do you love about operating and designing uh, in Portland? 
And what is the drawback to operating and in, in designing in Portland? You're in Portland city limits now, aren't you? The shop is, yeah. Yeah, gotcha. So yeah, what's great about that? And what is a drawback? I would say access to artists who are coming through has been really cool because yeah. we can just have people like touring artists generally over to the shop or if they're, you know, Sometimes we're within striking distance of going to Moda Center or like a a big venue if it's not the type of tour that can kind of get get out and about. Yeah. Um, So the access to artists is really cool. Um, There's a lot of really good food everywhere, and there's a lot of really great things about about Portland still. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And then some of the drawbacks are it's. it's actually gotten like pretty dangerous over the past uh, few years. Um, so everyone's seen kind of an uptick in crime and stuff like that. But yeah. I think it's temporary. We're just kind of dealing with it. Do you, do you, do you, uh, is there a competition for uh, which MI company bands go see when they stop in Portland? Because there's you, <laughs> there's... Uh, there's uh, Jack Deville is there. Who who else is in Portland? Refresh my memory. I don't. I I promise you, Jack wouldn't let anyone go over to. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> you don't think? Um, he'll tell you that too. <laughs> uh, that let's see. There's a Cattle and Bread, and I, I know those guys. They're great. Yeah, Tom. Um, now Tom's over there. I like him. He's a cool guy. Yeah. Cattle and Bread. What else? Uh, Nick Greer. I actually went and stopped stopped over and saw nick greer a couple days ago which was really fun nick greer of greer amps huh yeah i don't think i knew he was in portland i thought he was in georgia he's not in georgia he he and his wife moved to portland so he's like kind of living here and designing stuff here and then he's got a crew of guys in athens who are making stuff okay gotcha you're right. I'm not crazy. Okay, good. Uh, <laughs> Maleko's technically here, but they're they're pretty reclusive, and I'm not even sure they're still around. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> um. How many How many people do you have working there at Benson now? In this shop, right there. Um. In this shop, we have on average about seven. Um. But that's like, I kind of this is bad, and your your employees might revolt over this. Um, we kind of let people set their own hours a little bit and we have people who come in at like 6 a.m. and people who come in at like 6 p.m. Yeah. And people are just here at all hours and that. That's actually partially for security. So people are just here at the shop a lot more. Yeah, I like that. Our um, pr- our production crew works like that. You know, a oh, lot really? of them are that's getting cool. here at 6 in the morning. Um, okay, Chris, besides um, like... What inspires you? Like, what? To, how does something get in from an idea into a new product? Like, because I know that you've got like thirty ideas kind of spinning at the same time, but how does it uh, come to be a an actual physical thing? And then how does it come to be available for sale? Um, back when I was playing a lot more music, it it used to be like, oh, why don't I have something that does this? And then we would just kind of, I, I would design it, and then we would put it up for sale with the idea other people might want it too. Um, I haven't really been playing as much music recently. So a lot of our current ideas are people actually 
you know, email us and say, hey, can I have a, you know, 50 watt version of this? Or do you have a tone stack that does this? So a lot of it's kind of crowdsourced a little bit. Yeah. Um, so, and then, you know, every once in a while, I'll pick up the guitar and be like, oh, this, you know, this thing doesn't do what I want. So it kind of, kind of comes from, from all over. Basically, if we think we can sell it easily and don't think someone's kind of already in the space that we're, that we've gone to. Yeah. Then we'll do it. Um, like, a, we're not going to do like a tube screamer clone or something like that, where like there've been hundreds and thousands um, of different companies that have done it. But if it's yeah. like a good enough original idea, I'll usually say, okay. And sometimes we even do unoriginal ideas. <laughs> like we did a 5e7 clone which is my favorite fender tweed called the ben master it's a clone of the the fender tweed ba- band master yeah and that was just straight up like yeah guys this is like a clone <laughs> mm-hmm. so yeah we're not really really religious about it but most of it's just stuff that like i could i don't see in the market yet yeah. So you're not going to go out and clone a, clone a tube screamer and you say you're not going to offer anything out to the market that's that's kind of already there. So can you kind of explain the difference? Let's start with the Monarch. Um, explain why it's not like a Fender Twin and explain why it's not a Vox AC30. Like exp- tell us why, like why it's different. Like what makes this different? Um, that's what I want to know. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So every... <laughs> Every amplifier company, but mostly, like there, there's like a Fender sound. Everyone, everyone knows the Fender sound. It's kind of mid scooped. Um, good reverb. It's got like opto tremolo usually, and there's like a sound that Fender's kind of known for, and they haven't really deviated that far from it over the years. Yeah, um, and that sound. sound is basically yeah, it's it's wonderful. That sound is basically just a collection of kind of circuit blocks or just like a particular arrangement of capacitors, resistors, tubes, transformers, and kind of a philosophy and goal underlying all of it. And Vox has the same thing, except they have a different collection of transformers, capacitors, resistors in a different arrangement. And that kind of makes the Vox sound. Same thing with Marshall. Yeah. Um, and so they're, they're all just like distinct sounds and I, I would argue kind of philosophies of what they're going for. Um, and so Benson, the Benson sound is a different one that's distinct from all of them. That's what? Uh, which is again? kind of a, is it, it's just a different distinct sound and philosophy that's, you know, separate from all of them. So it's kind of a new, new sound with a new kind of goal. And I, I kind of started the company started designing with kind of the the hubris that like well vox fender and marshall weren't really designing for a smooth transition into distortion mm-hmm. um they they just weren't thinking about that that's what players liked about them because there's a lot of kind of happy accidents there but that you know the, the book hasn't been written on those sounds um because it was all just kind of like accidents and, you know, they're, they're all great. It's actually, I own Fenders, Marshalls, Voxes, and all of those. 
Um, and I, I think they're wonderful and a, a really good, great touchstone, but none of them really designed with a transition into distortion in mind or even really fitting into like a mix on a rock record or an indie rock record or whatever yeah. in mind. So th- I, I kind of took the conceit that like, well, <clears throat> you can learn from all of those and take little parts of all of those that work particularly well. And can make something new and exciting that does what they, what people like about them arguably better because you're doing it on purpose and it's not just kind of like a, an, an accident. And I, I, does, does that make sense? Oh yeah. Good. Um, yeah. So the, the idea was just to kind of like come up with the sound, a sound that people who like all those sounds would also like yeah um at what point um like did the ship start to turn for you like like was it an artist endorsement or did did just kind of a, a group start amassing by word of mouth or when did things really start to to turn where you just i mean you probably you probably have enough work cut out for you for the next five years yeah Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, used to, you had enough work cut out for you for the fir- for the next month or two, you know. But now we're, <laughs> you're probably out to five years. So how, how like, is there a turning point, a season, uh, overnight? What happened? Yeah. So the whole idea is that the the way I grew the business was essentially word of mouth. Um. So, you know, I. I in the beginning, I made I think I made five amps. I made one for some of the right people. Like I made one for Jessica Dobson of Deep Sea Diver. I made one for mm-hmm. Tucker Martin, a producer here in town. Mm-hmm. Um, I made one for the Head and the Heart. Uh, I think the December. Are they from Portland? And so I. I who? Uh, Head and the Heart. Are they from Portland? No, they're they're from Seattle. Um, oh. But we had a. I was in Seattle before, and I kind of knew some of those guys um, and girls. We just saw them come through <clears throat> here, Oklahoma City, with Dawes. Yeah, sweet. Yeah, both both great bands. It's a good show. Um, so I, I mean, being a musician and playing in Seattle and in Portland, you know, I was just already pretty well connected to a lot of people who can get those amps in front of people. So it kind of started with them, and then you know, someone would see. Jessica playing one on NBC late late night show or something and get in touch and then head on the heart. And I, what I found was it just kind of snowballed. Um, and a lot of it was word of mouth, either through artists or more kind of like <clears throat> people playing guitar in their bedroom who mm-hmm. were just kind of to- tone obsessives. And yeah. I think it, it kind of reached like a singularity in like 20, 2015 is when I realized that if I didn't hire some people, I was just going to have a really long list. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I started like actually hiring friends of mine in 2015 and then keep kept getting bigger and bigger artists kept snowballing. And then in 2020, another kind of what I call a singularity happened where we, uh, we actually have to, had to shut down our list and people couldn't even say they were, you know, email us, say they're interested in buying something. Uh-huh. 
um, because the list of people who are interested in buying amps got to be like eight years out. Yeah. So, um, it, so I would say there's kind of two separate points, 2015 and 2020. Yeah. Where'd you grow up? Did you grow up in Seattle or Portland or where? Uh, Yukon, uh, which is where stores, um, well, Stores, Connecticut, which is where Yukon is, which is like a small town. Um, my dad was a professor of microbiology there. Yukon, uh, Connecticut? Where's Yukon? Is it the town called Yukon? Uh, the, the town is called Stores, believe it or not. Oh. S-T-O-R-R-S. Um, and the, the university is called Yukon, which has oh. the greatest basketball program. <laughs> university of Connecticut. Okay, so I was thinking like, why <laughs> you, been Yeah, you're talking about, yeah, University of... Yeah. How'd you get from stores? How'd you get from stores to? Uh, I'm on my phone because I'm looking <clears throat> up where you lived. How'd you get from stores to Seattle? Um, I went to college at, in uh, Grove City, Pennsylvania. Um, Grove City, Pennsylvania. Grove City, Pennsylvania. Okay. What college? Uh, Grove City College. Grove City College, GCC. Um, and then I basically didn't didn't super go to college while I was there and just toured around the East coast in bands. And, but I met my wife at Grove city college and then we moved out to the West coast cause she's from Portland and I had a bunch of friends who I didn't, I didn't even know what the term hipster. I had never heard the term hipster at the time, but I guess we we're all hipsters <clears throat> and I had some hipster friends in Seattle. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. That we went and hipstered with for uh-huh. like uh, eight, eight years or so. I got you. So you moved to Seattle. How did you generate income in Seattle? Sounds like a lot of hipstering. I was a construction worker. Uh huh. Residential or commercial? Residential. I was framing houses and then doing remodeling and then doing a crazy warranty carpentry job where you just drive around and fix brand new houses that have major problems. Oh, interesting. So you're like a you're you're a handyman. Yeah, yeah, I am a handyman. Can I'm come, a handyman. Yeah, come fix our sink real quick. Maybe really I nice. could. So I swear I could. Uh, did that? Did that experience play into your ability to do cabinetry later on? Yes. Yeah, and just build stuff and be handy in general, like for for sure. I'm I'm really interested in these bands you were in. Yeah, what bands were you in? Yeah. Oh God. Well, I'm not going to tell you the Pennsylvania bands because that would be embarrassing. Um, Is there music? That's why up? we have the podcast, though. Yeah, <laughs> we can edit it out. <laughs> oh man, um, I don't know. Like in Seattle, I was in the same kind of scene as like a lot of the, the kind of two thousands um, singer songwriters, rock people like uh, Dave Bazan, like Damien Drado, and mm-hmm. like people people like that. Rosie Thomas. You were playing guitar, or were you singing? And playing I guitar. was playing um, mostly bass and upright bass back then. Oh, nice. Um, and so we were all kind of uh, in bands adjacent to that stuff that was going on. And uh, at the same time, adjacent to the scene the Head and the Heart came out of. Like, I used to play in bands with uh, Chris Zacchi, their bass player. Mm. Um, <clears throat> so just, just a bunch of bands that never really... None of the bands I was in really went anywhere, and that's totally fine because I don't think I want to be a professional musician. I'd much rather be an amp builder. <laughs> nice. Heard that. Um, 
Okay, so you're in Seattle for a long time. And then when did you transition from working from home, or working on homes to, well, I guess, did you work at Varellen or just on the side? Or how well, did that all I, work? So I went and got my master's degree in education um, because I thought I wanted to be a teacher. Uh-huh. <clears throat> About six years into our Seattle stay, and then, like, the entire time I was studying for that, I was actually just looking at amp schematics on the internet <laughs> and, like, just kind of soldering stuff in my basement at home when I should have been doing, like, learning how to teach children literacy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I graduated that around 2008 when kind of the everything collapsed economically and no new teachers could get jobs anyways. So I was like... Mm-hmm. Well, I'm just going to go work for my friend Ben, uh, who uh, who I'd kind of known through the music scene there. And I kind of like learned. He was like an actual electrical engineer. Like he went to school for it and stuff. And the few years I was at Varellen, um, we kind of uh, he kind of showed me all the analog kind of theory and uh, how to how to design stuff. And also, I, I watched him do do the business stuff at the same time. So I, I kind of was exposed to the MI business uh, through Ben, uh, through the few intense years that I spent there as their repair tech. Gotcha. Well, you describe them as intense years. Why? Well, small businesses, well, if Walrus has, if anything intense has ever happened at Walrus, but... No. Just watching Ben try to make decisions and kind of struggle financially and release products and do all the things that you need to um, kind of do to, to, to keep the, the lights on, the doors open. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of a just kind of witnessing all that and also learning the circuitry stuff really hardcore at the same time was uh, really formative for me. And you still wanted to run your own business, I guess. Well, I mean, I was a construction worker with a degree that I didn't want to use. <laughs> yeah. So I didn't, I didn't super have a choice. Thank goodness. Yeah. It's like one, one of the only, yeah, it was, it was kind of one of the only paths forward. Like I could have ended up working at the Apple store and been like the worst Apple employee of all time. <laughs> um, but you would have been a great genius bar guy. I have a lot of friends who have worked at Apple over the years, and I just don't think I, I would have, I think I would have washed out pretty quick. But thank you for saying that. Yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> You're welcome, yeah, Chris. Yeah, it's like, essentially being in like, in, having an amp company is one of the only things that I could have done. So, yeah, here we are. Do you, uh, if you could go back and do it all over again, would you name it Benson Amps or would you name it something else? I'd probably name it something else. Um, just because, well... You know, this is one of the many things that I hadn't thought of, but I don't super love being like the, I don't, let's see, how do I put this? I don't really like being that visible. I like just kind of designing stuff. And if, if I'm Benson, if I'm Chris Benson, then I have to kind of be in like every video and every little thing that Benson does. And that's not like the super fun part of the job for me. Yeah. Um, I do like interacting with artists and designing stuff people want, but 
if I had my way, I'd probably be a little bit reclusive. <laughs> I don't think it's necessary for you to be in every video. I mean, David Walrus. He's not, he's not in all of our videos. <laughs> <laughs> you probably have never seen David Walrus. David? Yeah, David. He's around. Dude, you got him. Dude, David Walrus. Amazing. <laughs> Uh, yeah, David. David is pretty reclusive. He, yeah, he has us out here just doing all his stuff for him. You know, so I get his coffee. I, mean, I have to get here early and make his coffee for him every day, and mm-hmm. get make sure he eats his protein bar and takes his vitamins. Yeah, then he's out at nine. Yeah, yeah. Nine he's just eight. in a I mean, chair. I, he's just I, in a chair petting a cat. You know, hooked up to like a couple of IVs. Yeah, I, I didn't. I talk to David all the time, but I also talk to Jerry Tone Tubby. Jerry Tone Tubby. <laughs> Have you guys ever met Jerry Tone Tubby? No, but I'd like to. I'm ready for it. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> All me... right. For Chris, fast forward for fast forward twenty years. Uh what is what does Benson Amps uh look like? I I don't know. I think it might might look pretty similar to this. Um I don't want <clears throat> to really grow anymore at this point just because I I don't want to manage more people, essentially. I got you. Um, and I, I really love the crew we have, and I think a lot of them are kind of long-termers. Um, and we're, I think, yeah, I, I think we're, I'd be very happy if it just kind of looked like this um, in 20 years and not worse than this. <laughs> yeah. Um, I've talked to you uh I've talked to you offline quite a bit, um, but a lot of the times when we hang out and we talk, you talk about your desire for these amps to still be working in 50 or even 100 years. Uh, is that true? And mm-hmm. how do you, in your in your production process, how do you achieve something like that? Yeah, that's absolutely true. I think that our goal is for this to be a forever amp that's going to be passed down generation to generation. Um that's, I mean, I, I look at Fender a lot as an inspiration for that. And the, the Fender amps that you see, the Tweed amps are still going, you know, yeah, 60 years later. Is it 60? 70 years later. God. Um, One of the two. And, and people are still, you know, dragging them out and gigging with them uh, here and there. And I they're going to be around for hundreds, hundreds of years. Um, if people take care of them and replace parts that fail. Um, and I kind of look at that as what I want my amps to do. So I just want them to be permanently serviceable, um, always able to be fixed and never, never bricked. Like I just, the idea that someone would just throw a Benson amp in a landfill freaks me out. So every decision uh, that we make on the actual construction of the amps is to to kind of prevent that from happening ever. Gotcha. So you're not 3D printing Chris uh, Benson amps anymore. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> that, would be, that would be amazing. <laughs> Let the record show he never 3D printed Honestly. amps. Um, uh, I love that, and my mine still works, and it's it's about four years old. And so hopefully it'll make it another 96 years. I love hearing uh, that because most of them are, have actually been thrown out. It's crazy. 
Um, okay, last question for today. Uh, well, first of all, what, do you have any questions that you wish, wish I would have asked you? That's not a no, question. No, that's pretty good. Um, wh- uh, what's your favorite? And then what's the best Christmas movie? I mean, th- my favorite and the best one is obviously National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Yes, we get that answer. <clears throat> yeah, that's a good. One. One, one of my bands in Seattle was actually I, I got to name it, and I named it the Beautiful Clarks after a scene in that movie. <laughs> nice. So now we know n- one of the names of your old bands. She's yeah. a Butte Clark. You should go actually check that one out. I like that band. Okay, the Beautiful Clarks. The Beautiful Clarks. Um. Okay. So, uh, if anybody listening, uh, this has been chit chatting with Chris Benson of Benson Amps. What you can do is you can go on Instagram and you can follow Benson Amps on Instagram and uh, Facebook page and whatever. And if they want to purchase an amplifier, what's the lead time right now? Literally can't even we get can't, in line. Can't but even get we in do line. sell. <clears throat> we do sell them to dealers. Like yeah. half of the amps we make actually go to dealers and they usually disappear immediately. But yeah. if you have a friendly neighborhood dealer yeah, uh, for guitars and pedals. Yeah. Who's some of your favorite dealers out there? Oh, gosh. I mean, we puts, we really love CME and yeah. LA Vintage Gear. And CME is Chicago Music Exchange. So if you're Chicago, you should go to CME. Vintage vintage guitar in Sweden or Norway. Um Man, they're, they're all great. We don't work with any dealers that we don't like. They're all awesome. Dig it. Uh, why don't you list some dealers that you don't like? I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, hey, dude, thanks for your time today. Thanks for being on the show. Uh, this was really insightful. And uh, as a as a designer and manufacturer, all of us here, uh, it's inspiring to, to hear you and to hear your ideology. Um, I think it's fantastic. So thank you. Thank you. Oh, it was a pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. Love you, man. See ya. You too. See ya. Bye.